following sermon is from Faith Bible Church, located in Murrieta, California. More information about Faith Bible Church is available at www.faith-bible.net. So let's welcome Pastor Montoya. God bless you. Yeah. Well, it's always a delight to come and share the pulpit here at uh, Faith Bible Church and to catch up on uh, our former students and how, they, um, how they're doing in the ministry. Pastor Chris is one of my best friends, and we go back a long ways, and we, uh, I have admired him over the years, and whenever uh, he asked me to come and share the pulpit, I'm more than willing to come. I only missed six, six sermons, six Sundays a year from our church, four for vacation and two for outside engagements, and this is one of them. So Faith Bible Church is one of the regular ones that I receive an invitation to come and be a part of the ministry here, so we want to thank God. I know that usually it's the end of Shepherd's Week, and it's also our missions conference on this particular Sunday, so I usually want to give uh, Chris an opportunity to get some rest and uh, get some encouragement at the Shepherd's Conference, etc. But I hear he's in Hawaii this weekend. <laughs> what is that about, you know? Well, that's the best place to get some R&R, be with family and then be in one of these great islands where it's sunny and etc. So we um, want to thank God for uh, Chris's ministry along with his family, his wife and children, and, the grand and now grandchildren as well. So we thank God for them. It's a real joy for me to be with you. My wife sends her greetings. She feels bad she couldn't come. She's my better half, and she is uh, usually seated with me, but she sends her greetings and her love. And... Uh, we're just thankful to God for an opportunity to be together here on the Lord's Day. We know it's been a rather hectic year. Who would have thought that uh, a year ago I was with you on this particular Sunday, and then after this, everything, everything happened. Uh, the state shut down, the uh, COVID-19 crisis pandemic started, and all kinds of stuff took place, and we have uh, seen our, our churches, our ministries affected, not always negatively, sometimes in a very positive way. So many great things that God is doing as a result of this pandemic. People coming to God and churches being uh, uh, revitalized, etc. But also a lot of hardship, a lot of heartache, a lot of crying and moaning and, and grieving over lost ones. And it's been rather difficult times even for our families. So we know that... Uh, that, that God, uh, God is at work. Uh, we're also sensitive to the pain that we're all experiencing. It is also um, a time that I've seen that because of the pandemic, because of being shut in and uh, having to stay home, and some, I know some folks, uh, obviously not you because you're here, some folks have never left the home. They've never left the house. They, uh, they even call their meals in. They call for <laughs> delivery of groceries and things like that. So we know that some folks have really taken this thing to the nth degree. And uh, overall, if we're not careful, it's also been a time for us to kind of let down our guard, you might say, and get rather sloppy in our lives, if you notice that. We uh, don't even bother even dressing up when we do go out. We go to Costco or shop some places, some, you notice that we don't even bother to make any adjustments. I understand that even ladies don't even 
paint their their faces anymore. They just put a mask on. You know what? You put a mask on and put a baseball cap and like you're all set to go. And I, I, I chuckle. I go to go to like Costco with my wife and even some young ladies. You know, they they show up in their pajamas. You know what I'm saying? Pajamas, like they just got out of bed. I thought to myself, what in the world would a young gal, 18, 19 years old, be doing at a Costco in pajamas? I mean, you're there to land a man, not to land a monkey. You know what I'm saying? So <laughs> somehow, so we kind of let down our guard. And I was being critical, critical of some people that were doing that. And then I realized that I fell into the same category of not being careful. I recall doing my first Zoom meeting with a particular pastor, wanted some advice on, so we arranged the Zoom meeting with this board, and there I set up the computer, my very first, and there had a chance to interact, and got my wife helped me set it up, and, and so I sat there and had a discussion, an hour, two-hour discussion with this pastor, my wife came in and looked at me, and she was like, shocked, because I didn't even comb my hair, I didn't even put a shirt on, I was in a t-shirt, and not just any t-shirt, but the V-type t-shirt. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, whoa. And she said, what are you doing? And I forgot that I, they could see me. I thought it was just telephone. I mean, like sloppy, sloppy, sloppy. And wow, what, uh, I recall even about a month and a half ago, two months ago, I was doing, I got down to do my push-ups. and done for a long time, just giving up on even exercise. Here I'm 46 years old, couldn't do 10. <laughs> Why are you laughing? I have the I couldn't do 10 push-ups. What's that about? I said, man, something's wrong here. And so it just revealed to us that if we're not careful, we can get really sloppy when it comes to our very personal lives. You ever notice that? Well, it's also possible that our Christian life has become sloppy. Where somehow our, our pursuit of godliness isn't where it needs to be. That we've allowed this pandemic to also make us sloppy, sloppy believers. Now sloppiness has been in vogue for quite some time in our culture. Sloppy Christians, sloppy churches has been in vogue for quite some time. There's been a, a slow decline, slow decline in, in, in churches and Christians really endeavoring to be all that God would like them to be. And so the message I have for us this morning is a message to help us, help us to be, to be a type of people that would overcome sloppiness and be all that God would want us to be. So I've chosen our text for the morning, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 to 16. So open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 4, 4 through 16. The Apostle Paul, writing to Timothy, gives him an encouragement, an exhortation that also applies to all of us here this morning, young and old, men and women. After exhorting him in verses 1 through 5 about people pursuing false doctrine, in verse 6 he says, In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, Constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. But have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, on the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Note that. 
For bodily discipline is only a little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things because it holds a promise for the present life and also for the life that is to come. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. It is for this we labor and strive because we have fixed our hope in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. Prescribe and teach these things. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, exhortation, and teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through the prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress may be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as long as you do this, you'll ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Let's pray together. Our Father, we ask you now to be our instructor, be our motivator, be our teacher. And may the Lord, we have you speak to our hearts and encourage us in our walk of faith. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. In verse 7, verse 7, the Apostle Paul gives this exhortation. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Our own. Our purpose today is to have a passion for godliness. I want you to have a passion for godliness. And we'll do that by looking at this text. And first of all, looking at Paul's call, call to godliness. Just inviting, encouraging Timothy to make this his priority. And then from verses 11 and following, 11 through 14, he will will give some illustrations of what does it mean to be a man that pursues godliness. What is What does that look like? What does it look like in your life and in my life? And then he'll end by giving us a a concluding exhortation for us to pursue godliness, to make that that something that we're going to be really working at. And so we, we do need that today. The arena of sloppy Christians has to end. We we have to put a stop and break to this, this, down, this downslide. And we need to become a people that really display godliness in our lives. So let's look at this first paragraph here. And the call that God gives to Timothy, the call to godliness. Now, we need to define some terms in verse 7 and verse 8. Define the term godliness. It's a very particular term. You say bea is the Greek word that is used here, the word for godliness. And it has two, two, uh, two definitions. Two definitions. First of all, the word godliness here stands for revealed religion. It is the, it is the whole body of the Christian church, Christianity, revealed to us. So, so Paul uses the word godliness to speak about the revealed religion. We take that from chapter 4. Go to chapter 3, I'm sorry, chapter 3 of 1 Timothy. In chapter 3, verses 14 and 15 and 16. I'm writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. But in case I am delayed, 
I write so that you'll know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. By common confession, great is the mystery of, what's the word there? Godliness. Notice that. Great is the mystery of godliness. The word mystery means something that God revealed to us. Then none of us, no one found it by themselves. It is God that revealed to us. And so he says, the mystery of godliness, all that Christianity is in doctrine and in practice is called godliness. That's why he qualified in verse, in verse 16 by giving us the doctrine of the incarnation of Christ. And so godliness stands for Christianity, all that it is. So when you and I are called to pursue godliness, it means for you and I to embody everything that that is revealed to us in the Christian faith, in the Christian, in the Christian doctrine. Now, secondly, go to Titus chapter 2, please, the book of Titus chapter 2. The other definition of, of godliness is an outworking of, of revealed religion. And I suppose uh, this is the bulk of the times that is used here and also in Peter. In chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live, notice, and to live, first of all, what? Sensibly and righteously and what? Godly in the present age. So Titus 2.12 identifies the fact that you and I as believers should be living in such a way, sensibly, that is, has to do with my own life, my, the control of my life. Secondly, righteously, my interaction with other people. And then godly has to do with my love for God revealed in my, my everyday life. So when you and I speak about godliness, it is the outworking of my, my, my religion. The outworking of my Christian faith. How does, how does it work out in my daily life? The pursuit of godliness is... The Christian faith then lived out in my life, in my life. And so the apostle then is saying for us, saying to us, this is going to be our our pursuit, the outworking of the Christian life in in our lives. Now let me take you back to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Now you notice that he qualifies, he qualifies by saying, by saying, Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. The word for discipline, follow me now, the word for discipline is the Greek word gubnazo. The word gubnazo sounds like what? Gymnasium. Gymnasium. We are, we, interesting, we are in a what? We are in a gymnasium. And the purpose for a gymnasium is not to have parties, but it's to do what? It's to do exercise. It's to do exercise for us to be disciplined. And so the, what he's saying is that if we're to be godly, it's going to take a matter of effort. It's going to take discipline. Godliness doesn't just happen. It's something we're going to work at. If you're going to be a godly man or godly woman, if you're going to display godliness in your life, it's going to be something that you are going to be working at. It's going to take a disciplined life. Something that's good, you're going to be working at, like you would as you discipline your body. If you were to get involved in a gym 
for you to exercise and accomplish a certain goal, it would take a matter, a, a measure of discipline or working out in regards to that. Now notice also that God calls it, God calls it, the apostle calls it a very deserving call. Very deserving call. And notice in, in verse 9, it is one of the number of trustworthy statements. Every now and then as you read the apostle Paul, he'll punctuate that. He'll say like, yeah, you, can, you can bank on this one. Listen, mark this one down. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. This applies to everybody. Timothy, it isn't just for you. It's not just for preachers. It's for everybody. And for everybody. And then Paul says, this is such a a marvelous, marvelous uh, uh, outcome. Verse 8, for bodily discipline is only of little profit. It's it's nice to work out. It's nice to be able to do push-ups and have exercise and have a healthy, a healthy life. That's okay. But in comparison to godliness, it doesn't even come close to it. Because godliness is profitable for all things. It's like the best thing. It profits the entire life. It holds a promise for the present life and also for the life that is to come. If you pursue godliness, Paul says, if you bank on this and make godliness the pursuit of your life, you are going to benefit immensely. It holds the promise for the present life. It's going to affect your life. Uh, Pastor Nigel knows that we have a professor at the Master Seminary, uh, Dr. Buznitz, and he preached a, chap, a chapel message one on holiness. And he made the statement that stuck with me, and he preached it a long time ago. And he says, Only the truly holy are truly happy. Only the truly holy are truly happy. Now you say it. You want to be happy? Two of you do. You want to be happy? Then you need to be what? In other words, you cannot be holy unless you are, you cannot be happy unless you are what? holy. And so this has, that's great profit for the world today, for, for your life today. You pursue, you pursue godliness in your life, and your life will be transformed. There'll be a joy in your life, because this is a result, the result of, of godliness. And also, he says, and for the life that is to come, for eternity, because you can't go to heaven unless you're godly. Godliness is a requisite for heaven. Only those that that have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ and transformed into the image of Christ by what God did, only those that have the holiness of God in them will make it to heaven. So godliness is going to be of great profit to you. And Paul says because of that, because of that, we make it our ambition. We, uh, we, We labor and strive. We, our desire is to produce godly churches because that's what really matters in life. We strive, we strive, we labor and strive for this because we have placed our hope in the living God who is a Savior of all men. Our motivation is God. Our motivation is that every believer be this, pursue godliness. And it is every pastor's dream and desire that the church be a godly church. We have, we have missed the boat today. Many of our churches 
are only after numbers, attendance figures, people showing up to church. And that's not the goal of ministry. The goal of ministry is godliness. A church is great, not because it has a lot of people. A church is great when its people are godly. That's what, this, that's what defines a great church, if people are godly. And so Paul says, this is what we're calling you to do, Timothy. I want you to pursue. I want you to pursue godliness. It's the greatest thing you could ever do. And friends, I, people of God, I, I want to encourage you to make this also your dream and your desire. Now, to help us, the Apostle Paul goes on to show us characteristics of godliness. What does that look like? So, Brother Montoya, what does that look like? What does godliness look like? And so the apostle then begins to give to Timothy an exhortation saying, Timothy, this is what godliness looks like. Look at verse 11 and verse 12. Prescribe, teach these things. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. He'll give us three examples of what does it mean to reveal godliness or pursue godliness. He'll talk first of all about your, your conduct as a believer. Then he'll talk about verse 13, your, your zeal for the word of God. And then in verse 14, he'll talk about your, your expression of, of godliness as you minister to other believers, as you utilize your gifts and ministering to other believers. But notice in verse 12, pursuit of godliness involves your life, involves your conduct, involves the holy conduct. Now I want you to note with me something, that he prefaces what he says by saying this, let no one look down on your youthfulness. Now Timothy, I don't want to hear any excuses. Well, you know, Paul... I, I'm a young man, and when I go to, in my ministry, people despise, they don't listen to me, uh, they don't think I'm qualified, they don't think I have the, the experience to really minister and head and plant churches, and so they're not responding to me the way you, they ought to respond. And here's, here's what's happening today, people of God. What's happening today, the reason why our churches are so sloppy is that we, we have bought into this excuse that somehow... Somehow our past, somehow our, our life affects our godliness. I have a reason. I have a reason why I can't be a good husband. I got my problems as a husband. I got my issues. My father abused me. I lived in a home where I, mom and dad didn't love each other. I came from a broken home, perhaps. My mom and dad divorced. I don't know what it means to be a husband, so I can't treat my wife the way I should treat her. So the stuff that has to do with godliness, I just, I, I have my own issues. I'm, I'm dysfunctional. And so we use that as an excuse for our godlessness. And so we sit in churches, and we sit in counseling sessions, and we go from place to place giving excuses why we cannot pursue godliness. And Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, that will not do. That will not do. That will not do. There's no excuse for any believer not to pursue godliness. Not a one. And so he says, so, and then notice, secondly, he says to Timothy, You be an example of the believer. 
Because here's a second problem. Second problem. Is that you think that godliness is only for this man. See, this man should be godly because he is a what? He's a preacher. And so preachers need to be godly. They can't, they can't get drunk. They can't smoke weed. You follow me? I mean, they got to be in church. You follow me? Yes or no? They got to read the Bible, right? They got to be in Bible study. But see, you don't. Because you're not a preacher. <laughs> and you don't either. So you're off the hook. So he's got to live by a standard, but you don't. Is that true? No. What's right for him is right for everybody. That's what Paul is saying. This is for everybody. And so we sit in churches and we say, ah, the preacher, all the deacon, all the elder, they have to be a certain way. Or that brother's got to be, and me, I'm off the hook. I'm just a yo-yo in the church. And so I'm going to cruise. And that is not true at all. It's for everybody. And so, Timothy, you provide an example. You be a type. Show them what it's like. And notice what he, look at the list. Look at the list. Be an example, he says, first of all, of speech. What comes out of your mouth? Be an example of what comes out of your mouth. Your speech should be speech that reflects what God wants you to do. Now, Paul will speak about that in Ephesians chapter 4 and chapter 5. Let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, but only such a word as is good to build up other people. Don't allow your language to become gutter talk. Don't allow your language to become filthy, filthy, dirty talk. In our churches, you know, when I came to Christ, I came to Christ at the age of 16, 17, and I'd been around. I grew up in a, in a godless home, and my, my, my father, we used to sit with men, and I, I heard words. I've heard filthy languages. I've heard filthy stuff. It's, I've, I've heard it all. Stuff that, I mean, it's there. Then I became a Christian, and then I went to a Christian college, and I was shocked when I went to the Christian college. Shocked because my roommates and the student body, I never heard any cuss words, none of any type. These men, like, I couldn't believe that I was among men who never used cuss words, who the... They, they never did these things. And now in today's culture, it is, it is, it, we accept that. We have families where the F word is used with mom and dad and children. You cuss at each other. You use foul language. You, you watch movies where, where filth comes out of these people's mouths and it's okay with you. And then we say, I want to be godly. That's not godliness. Got to clean up your speech. So your kids can say of mom and dad, I've never heard dad cuss. I've never heard mom use a filthy word ever. This is what it talks about. In speech, in conduct, he says. The word conduct there is, is your way of life, is your walk. The, 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 the way I, they had an expression that all of us have a way of walk. I have a way of walk. If you were to watch me uh, uh, coming to you, uh, Half a mile away, you could say, there's, a, there's Montoya. That's the way he walks. Well, we all have a, a, a way of walking. And there's a way that Christians walk, their lifestyle. 
the way they behave among other people. Your lifestyle is an expression of your godliness, the way you interact. Last December, we had a, one of our deacons died suddenly, died of a heart attack, just passed away and died and just broke our hearts. We finally had this service for him in January, and, and we had a, a gravesite service. At the gravesite service, we had people give testimonies about his life. And it was a particular testimony that really impacted me. It was the, the man's boss who hired him. And his testimony, he said, I hired this man because I believed in him. And he's the only man that I could ever trust. I could put him in charge of my business, and I knew that I could trust him. That's the kind of man he was. Now, the man giving the testimony was a Muslim, a Muslim unbeliever, who publicly was saying about this man that he lived his life as a godly man. That's what it means, people, that in our everyday activity, our everyday life, we're walking in such a way that even our neighbors and co-workers and bosses can see our lives and say, this man, this woman truly reflects and reveals the Christian religion in their lives. They practice what they believe. So speech, conduct, love, notice, in love, in love. By this, all men will know you're my disciples if you finish it. If you have love for one another, if you have love for one another, our love for each other is a revelation of our faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, that we learn to love each other. Friends, let's be honest. We, and especially Faith Bible Church here, because you guys are steeped in the Word. You guys know the Bible backwards and forwards. You ain't going to run this place long enough, friend, and you'll be, cutting, you'll be cutting your vein and you'll bleed Bible verses. You hang around long enough here. But we make this mistake. We think that sometimes knowing is just enough. Just knowing the Scriptures is just enough. It is not. Loving is also part of that. To love your brothers and sisters. To love one another. To care for each other. We have churches where members don't talk to each other. We have churches where families don't talk to each other. Where brothers and sisters don't get along. We have, we have Christian people where they don't talk to their neighbors. You don't, you don't talk to your neighbors. They're like invisible to you because you don't really love them. We have situations where somehow we have the right not, we think we have the right not to love somebody. And we don't. We don't. We don't have that right. We think we have the right that, that somehow you can keep your children from your mother-in-law. And somehow you think you have the right to do that. And you can keep your wife from your, from your parents. And we think that's okay. It's not okay, friends. Love is the core of thing. When, when God chastised the seven churches of Revelation, he, he began with Ephesus. And Ephesus was, was like Faith Bible Church. They knew the word. They knew the truth. But he said, I have one thing against you. That you have left your first what? You have left your first love. See, love is what matters. Love is what matters. 
You should make it your ambition that you should be loving to everybody and have no one that hates you. You've done your best. Notice not only speech, conduct, love, but also faith. Faith there is trust. Trust. How do I trust God? Friends, this pandemic has made a separation between the men and the boys. This pandemic has really put us to the test. Can we trust God in this pandemic? Can we trust Him? And yet, how many, how many believers do you know that are totally terrified? Totally terrified. They hide. They don't want to touch anybody or touch anything. They're like full of anxiety and panic because of this. Oh, Christian people, this is the time for you and I to shine before the Lord by having absolute trust in God. We, one of our sisters passed away, our members passed away back in December, our first one in our church. And she was from our Spanish-speaking department. And the pastor called her on a Saturday just to comfort her. And she said, to, she said, Pastor, no te preocupes. Pastor, don't worry about it. Estoy lista. I'm ready. I'm ready. Radiant faith, trust. And as soon as they hung up, a short time later, she departed, went home to be with Jesus. That's called faith, people. Trusting God. And when you and I display the Christian, when you display godliness, we're okay. We're okay. We're okay. We're trusting God. And so speech, conduct, love, faith, and then there's purity. That's moral purity, ethical purity. In the slide, the slide in the church has been so sloppy. It is, it is almost incredible what's taking place today in the churches. We have mega churches, mega churches where a certain percentage of the crowd is living in fornication. Every Sunday they show up and they stand and they wave their hands and they're praising God and yet in spite of it all, they're living in fornication and impurity. What's that about? Divorce is rampant in our Christian churches. We're divorcing for all kinds of funny stuff. We have Christian churches endorsing the gay movement. Or fighting over whether or not even they should be. All of that. Godliness doesn't do that. Godliness strives for moral purity. The way we dress, the way we conduct ourselves. Our devotion to our spouses. Our devotion to our promises. All of that. We are going to be above reproach. Above reproach. When Vice President Pence took office with, along with, with President, uh, and he got into hot water because he said, I don't, I, don't, I don't eat by myself with another woman. He got in hot water. Because our culture doesn't see, they don't understand moral purity. I don't understand that. Ladies, folks that make your dresses for you to wear, they don't, they're not concerned about your moral purity. They set the standards for you when you should be setting the standards for them. And so God is saying, if you're going to pursue godliness, this is going to be your conduct. You're going to be a man or woman that's going to practice moral purity. This is going to be the, our life. 
Now notice the text. He also says not only should the, your behavior be this way, but notice also verse 13, to pursue godliness is also to pursue a devotion to the Word of God, devoted to the Scriptures, so that the Word of God becomes your daily diet. Now, I know you're in a great church. I'm simply going to touch on this very lightly because you are well instructed. You have the Bible, but I take nothing for granted. Godliness means that we're going to take this word, and Paul would say, give attention to the reading of it. Obviously, he meant the public reading of it, because in those days, people didn't have Bibles. We have Bibles today. We have Bibles everywhere. But the problem is, are we reading them? Do they become, are they our diet? Do we partake of the Scriptures? Is it a personal and public partaking of the Scriptures? Now, friend, if you're, if you're hearing me, and uh, I, I, I don't mind, I don't mind you not having a, 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 your own physical copy, but I want you to make sure that whatever copy you have, whether it's a visible or it's a cell phone or it's an iPad or whatever it is, that you are taking that and you are reading it on a regular basis. Not just on Sunday mornings when we're supposed to, but every day you take and partake of the Word of God. Make it your diet. He says not only should you read it, believe it. Sound doctrine. You should be committed to the Scriptures as they're written here. Committed to sound truth and sound doctrine. That's what it's about. For you and I to be committed to sound. Now ladies, you know the word today is organic, isn't it? And the word today, organic. <laughs> uh, we're going to eat organic. Is it, is it organic? Huh? You go to the market, is it organic? Now, my wife was here. She's organic. You know, she's into organic stuff. Me, I am panganic. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I, uh, whatever is out there, I mean, it's got to taste good. For me, it's got to taste good. I, I'm not going to just... Uh, you say, well, Montoya, you know, if you, if you get, go that way, you may, you may die. I know, but when I die, I want to die in style. You know what I'm saying? I, wanna, I don't want to go down in flames with a, with a cucumber. You know what I'm saying? I want to go with a, with a he- juicy hamburger. You know what I'm saying? And, and chili fries. You know, I, I want to go down and talk to me now. See? Now, that is sound doctrine, people. Okay? We're talking about sound doctrine. Uh, I'm talking about organics, sound doctrine, okay? Healthy. And so this is why we're devoted. You're in a great church. And if you're visiting today, or you're a visitor, uh, listen, if you don't like what I said, I- I'm not the regular guy. Okay? <laughs> I'm not. I- I'm like, I stand in, okay? The, next, the, ne- the guy that comes next week, he's the regular guy. And they, but you're going to have a church devoted to sound doctrine. And you're going to preach sound doctrine. That's why the apostle in Timothy chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, he says, preach the word, Timothy. Preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when, when men will not desire strong. They don't want this. They're going to, they're going to reject sound doctrine and pursue myths. And stuff that really doesn't matter. And so we, are, as preachers, are committed to preaching sound doctrine, to teaching the truth of God. The truth of God. 
And so we do that. We just preach the word the way it is. We lay it out. This is sound truth, sound doctrine. Now, oftentimes it, it cuts, it offends, it, it reproves us, it corrects us, it does challenge us, it convicts us. Listen, people, listen. Preachers like me, we're called to preach like this. And it's hard for us to do so. It's hard. Because we know sometimes you'll be upset. I've had folks get up and walk out in the middle of my preaching. I feel bad about that. I feel bad for them. But I can't change because our mandate is to preach the Word. It's to lay out the Word the way it is. And it's going to go and do its work and have its effect. Because that's what's going to produce godliness. What produces a healthy soul is godliness. Is, is sound doctrine produces the godly soul. And so we're committed to that. And so friends, may I say to you, make sure that we are doing what it says here. We're taking the word of God. We're reading it. We're believing it. We're teaching it. We're having it teached or taught to the glory of God. Now, now look, at verse, look at verse 14. Verse 14, he adds a third qual- quality here. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through the prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands of the presbytery. By the way, Paul had to tell Timothy twice to get his act together because he had a, had a tendency to be shy about this. Do not be involved in using his gift for the glory of God. And Paul says, no, listen, your job is to minister. You got a gift, use it. And friends, godliness, the pursuit of godliness involves you and I ministering in love to our brothers and sisters in Christ. To using our gifts and abilities for the honor and glory of God and for the benefit of those around us. And so Paul says here, it's what we need to do. Every one of us in this room, all of us have received a special gift from God. A special spiritual gift that when you came to Christ, God gave you a spiritual gift. When you accepted Christ as your Savior, God gave you a gift. Now your job is to discover that gift. And then secondly, to use that gift for the glory of God. Somebody said uh, the, the typical church resembles a a football stadium with two football teams playing each other. And folks in the stands full, and then we have, we have 22 men on the, on the field badly in need of rest. And we have 50,000 folks in the stands badly in need of exercise. <laughs> and sometimes that's the way it is. And so what I'm saying this morning in the pursuit of godliness, discover your gift. And then use that gift for the glory of God. Find some way to use that gift and get involved. And that, friends, and Paul would say to Timothy, don't neglect it. Don't neglect doing it. Don't find some excuse. Don't, don't say, well, you know, Montoya, I'm just, I'm just tired. <sighs> Shut up. You know, we're all tired. <laughs> we're all tired. That's no excuse not to, not to use your gift for the glory of God. You know, some of us are just apathetic. We, don't, we, don't, we like to criticize, but we don't do anything. Friend, get in there and do something. You see a need, 
get in there and do something about it. We find this over the, over the course of time. As some of you used to be involved in service, used to be involved in ministry, but somebody ruffled your feather. Someone took your little, little gray, gray uh, uh, yellow hair and ruffled it, and you got upset about it. Now you sit around and you're, you're, you know, you're, you're stroking your, your bruises. Get over it. Get over it. Get what? Yeah, get over it. And get back in the battle. Do something about it. Do something about it. Why? Because God has called you to minister and to do something for the glory of God. If you think you're, you're godly and all you do is sit around and study the Bible and hear sermons and read books and that makes you godly and do nothing about it, friend, that doesn't make you godly. You're nothing but a yo-yo. You need to get out and do something with that. Get involved for the glory of God and use your gift. Use your gift to do something for God. That's what it says here. What it says here. And so, and so he's given us examples of what does it mean for us to pursue godliness? What does it look like in your conduct, in your love for the word, in your love for people, in your love for ministry? And then he, then he brings us to a, a closing exhortation. Look at verses 15 and 16. <laughs> he says, Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress may be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things. Ah, oh, he talks about the pursuit of it. Oh, people of God, let me just encourage you. Let me, let me just emphasize what the apostle says here. Let's get passionate about your pursuit. Make it your focus. Take pains with it. It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt you. For you to stop doing certain things and start doing other things, it's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt you big time. But you, you need to start someplace. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them. Be occupied. Be occupied. This is your life. This is your life. Your life is godliness. That's what it's all about. You know, my wife and I have a you know, we, we sometimes watch television and we watch the game show, you know, America, America Says. And uh, there's two families, two groups of people. And there was one family, and they, I think they were, the, I forget the name of it, but when, when the MC asked him, so what's, what's your family up? He says, we go to church. We go to church. African-American family. We go to church every Sunday, and our joy is going to church. And after church, meeting together and discussing the pastor's sermon. And then meeting together. And, and I do. And so, wow, wow, that's the church. That's, they were absorbed in that. And then the other family. Then they, then they asked him a question in, in, the, in the game. The question was, what, what, what movies of the 80s would you, would, you expo- would you present this to your children? Would you have your children watch? And it was for them. And I said to my wife, they're going to lose. They're done. They're cooked. Why? Because they're church people. And the films they had were like Dirty Dancing and other stuff like that. And true, they lost. They were like, we don't know. We don't know. Cinderella? You know, we don't know. (laughs) See, they didn't know. Why? Because they were absorbed in this thing. They were into God. Into God. That's what it's about, people. 
Be absorbed in that. Pay close attention. Get picky about it. Get picky about it. You know, I do weddings. I do weddings. And I have to get picky about the dress the bride's wearing. Picky about the, the, the dresses the, the bridesmaids wear. It's like she's going into the bedroom, not into a church. You know what I'm saying? And these are Christian people. These are not pagan. These are Christian people. Some of the same folks that are here. They will fight over the dress you're wearing because you're wearing your, 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 your honeymoon dress to the wedding. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Get picky about your life. Take godliness seriously and say, you know, that's not what I do. I'm going to shape this thing up. This is me for the glory of God. Get picky about it. And then he says, make progress in your life. Got to see something happening here. Got to see something happening. Your life has to progress. You stay in the word long enough. And before you know it, it's like the wife said about her husband, Pastor, I've seen him grow since he's been in church. I've seen him grow. Can they say that about you? I've seen him grow. Can she say that about you? I've seen him grow. Can I say that about her? Can I, I've seen her grow in the Lord. See, progress, we have to make some progress in our Christian life. And we all, at different levels in different states, but listen, we all need to make some progress. And I got news for you. No one has arrived. Nobody. Nobody. I know Brother Nigel said that he only knew of two people that had arrived. He and his wife. But he also told me he's having doubts about his wife also. So, <laughs> No one has arrived, my dear friends. None. None. So... We, we need to recognize that we need to be always pursuing, pursuing, making progress. Persevere, he says. Hang in there. Never quit. People of God, remember that Jesus says, he that endures to the end is the one that will be saved. And finish strong. And that's why he says, take pains in these things. Pay close attention to yourself and your teaching. For in doing this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Godliness is going to make sure that you get in because it makes you think about your walk with God, your salvation in Christ, and making sure that you are there. But it also, it also does this. It also makes sure that those around you have an opportunity to come to Christ. Listen, people, listen. You don't want to ever give somebody an, an excuse for going to hell. You don't want someone to say, well, the reason why I'm not a Christian is because of the way you live and your lifestyle and the way you contradict your religion. That's why I don't, I don't accept. You don't want that ever happen to you. You want to live in such a way that you can say, whatever happens, I will not give you an excuse for hell or rejecting Christ because of my lifestyle. I will display my Christian life to you in every facet. And never give you any reason to deny Christ and end up in hell. You need to do that. You need to desire salvation of people in such a way that you will say, 
I will, uh, uh, if you must perish in hell, if you must go to hell, you will have to go to hell stepping over me. Over me, not around me, over me, because I'm going to hold on to you. And you're going to be going to hell with my fingernails clung to your flesh. Because I don't want you to go to hell. I want you to be saved. And I will do all in my power to make sure that you don't end up in hell. That, my dear friends, is the pursuit of godliness. Ensure salvation for yourself and for those that hear you. We need to have that passion. We need to. Some of you may be here, you're not Christians. You've been sitting there and you're saying, that's, that's me. I, I need to repent. I need to come to Christ. And you need to do so. There's never been a more perilous time to be an unbeliever than today. Than today. You may go out right now someplace and you may come in contact with someone that has the virus and you'll get it and you'll be dead next week. I never thought that would happen. But it happens. And that could be you. So you need to come to Christ. If God is talking to you, if God is speaking to you, don't turn a deaf ear. Open your heart and invite Christ to become your Lord and your Savior. And make it real. Make it real today. Heavenly Father, thank you for being with us, for taking your word and helping us understand what it means to be godly. Oh, Lord, put a passion in us and help those that need Christ this morning to open their hearts and accept Christ as Lord and Savior. We ask it now in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening today. Sermon audio from the last three years is available by podcast, and a larger archive from Chris Mueller and Faith Bible Church can be found at media.faith-bible.net. And if you would, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps a lot. Thanks, and have a great day.